Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a terrific show lined up for today. Um, We're going to talk about the five ways to control emotional spending. You know, I mean, this is um, a real important topic because a lot of people get carried away and it's very easy to do today with all the advertising and all the easy ways it is to spend money out there on the Internet. All it takes is one click. Exactly. And we spend money emotionally. And so yeah. we've got to be able to control that. So there's five ways to keep that in check. And we're going to follow that up with a, an article talking about your financial number. And um, it's pretty interesting net worth. Um, we've got some estimates based on your age and income that we'll uh, share with you as we go through that. But uh, net worth is a, is a pretty good measure of someone's wealth. And uh, we'll talk to you about how to calculate that. And um, it's just a ballpark number. Um, doesn't is not necessarily good or bad per se, but um, you can do a calculation to figure out if you're kind of in the range of where you should be. Yeah, always good to have a benchmark mm-hmm. on you know yeah. where you should be at that stage of of life. So, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vestor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening today to our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon exclusively right off our website. Yeah, the website is moneymd.net, and uh, we have a link to the uh, podcast, the historical ones. You can go check that out. A lot of different topics. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD. We put a lot of uh, videos out there, the prescriptions of the week. They're, they're, some of them are pretty entertaining. Um, so go check that out. We have a Twitter page. And, Steve, we also have a, um, a, a session coming up, two sessions, one on the 12th and one on the 14th of September. On identity theft. Uh, on identity theft, that's right. So we're going to have a session in Aiken and a session in Augusta. And if, if you haven't received our email um, kind of announcing that, you can certainly sign up in that, through that uh, mechanism. But you can also call us in the office and uh, sign up for that as well. We've got a really good person coming in talking about that. A lot of knowledge. It's something you want to make sure you can uh, you know, attend. Yeah, Melanie Holmes, she's really an expert in this area. Tremendous amount of information. You know, she was on the show last week and shared some of that with us, but there's a lot more to it. So you want to attend that event if you haven't already signed up for that. And uh, do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can ask us your questions. Um, you can also see all our previous shows uh, right there off our website, and you can reach us directly by email at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, this is an exciting week. Weekend, that's right. Weekend, exactly. It's football season. Start of football. Thank we, goodness. you got to love. Carolina is undefeated. Uh, that's, we have hey, no losses right now. That's impressive. You know, you guys, it's amazing how you always start off undefeated. That's right. That's a great way to start. Everybody's positive and upbeat, and, you know, you got big <laughs> expectations going for the year. Right. You well, guys are ranked number five in the poll. That's pretty good. True. Our expectations are a little tempered, though, because yeah. we've lost well, some of our key players. But we're, you know, hey, but there's there's a chance. There's, there's a hope. Well, we actually have a five in our ranking, but there's probably a four in front of it. So we're, we're a little bit back in the in the pack a little bit. But well, you've got nothing to lose. That's right. That's it can only good, get better. It's a good place to start because no, people are, you know, looking past it. So. That's true. That's true. It'll be an interesting weekend, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, exciting. Love, love the start of football. 
Okay, well, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, Bloomberg uh, Business Week, and uh, 95% of companies in the S&P 500 have underfunded pension plans. That's a big number, 476 Ouch. out of the 500 firms, um, which is interesting. I have some folks um, that, that I that uh, work with from Westinghouse, and um, they just went bankrupt, right? And yeah, just so recently. some of their pensions are gone. They're, they're lost. It's terrible. And so when you do planning on, on pensions, you know, it's nice to feel like they're guaranteed, but um, that's not always the case. We, we see bankruptcies. We see other issues. Sometimes they'll freeze the pension. And, um, you know, if you've been working there for 10 years and you thought you're going to be working there for 30 years, your pension is not going to be anywhere what you were expecting. That's right. I mean, there are some guarantees with pension. There's the PBGC, mm-hmm. the Pension Gratuity uh, Benefit Corporation, which which guarantees a portion of your pension, but nowhere near 100 percent. And, you know, with companies out there underfunding it, um, you know, who knows? So you need to diversify, I think, is the key. You need to have some of your income from other sources. Um, you need to make sure you have a good, healthy 401k and you're contributing to that before retirement. And so you have some of the things to fall back on besides your pension because you just don't know. And even if you're getting a pension, most pensions don't include uh, inflation, inflation protection. That's right. And that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. 20 years into retirement, you got to have somewhere to boost your income because it's going to be like you have half as much pension as you started with. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it's a great fact of the week. Okay, and that leads up to our first topic here, and that is the five ways to control emotional spending. Um, This comes to us from an article out of Investopedia by Amy Fontenelle. And, uh, John, you know, I mean, shopping has become like America's favorite pastime. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it it seems that way anyway, with advertising popping up everywhere from billboard trucks to these big LCD billboards and flat screens everywhere to city buses. You know, I mean, advertisers spend billions of dollars annually trying to convince us that their products will make us feel successful or prevent us from being bored or help us attract the opposite sex. You know, a whole myriad of things out there. So, you know, when when ads are carefully designed to manipulate our emotions and our spending habits, it's no wonder wonder that people um, have these become emotional spenders yeah that's right and we see it i mean it's uh it's uh, it's almost like a disease in some cases i mean emotional spending occurs when you buy something you don't need and in some cases you don't even want and a lot of the reasons include being stressed out sometimes you're bored um you're you know unhappy in a relationship you know there's a lot of other emotions in there as well and you know, in fact, we even spend emotionally when we're happy. I mean, you know, what did you buy yourself the last time you got a raise? You went out and celebrated, of course. Um, which is okay as long as you keep it in, in check a little bit. And there's certainly nothing wrong with buying yourself nice things from time to time as long as you can afford them and your finances are in, in the proper order. You have your emergency funds in places and things like that. However, if you're spending more than you'd like to on the non-necessities or struggling to find you know, the cash to pay the bills or maybe pay down that credit card debt, learning to recognize and curb your emotional spending, it can be a very important tool. Um, you may have an issue that you need to address. That's right. And while avoid avoiding mo- emotional spending completely is probably not realistic for most people, there are certainly some steps you can take to decrease the damage it does to your wallet. So we're going to go through five of those here that I think are very, very important and kind of get to the heart of the matter. And the first one is avoiding impulse buys. 
Um, you know, that's the one of the primary ways of cutting down on emotional spending is to avoid making those impulse purchases. And that doesn't just mean you should avoid buying, you know, gum at the checkout counter <laughs> at the grocery store, right? I mean, there's it's a lot more than that. I mean, whenever you're at the store, whether it's a brick and mortar store locally or it's online, you find yourself wanting to buy something that you really didn't want um, before you got there, you know, and so the point is, don't buy it. You know, you got to figure out a way not to buy, not to buy those things that are just impulse purchases. So make yourself a, a, a kind of a, a rule of thumb that you're going to wait 24 hours, if not longer, before making a decision about whether to buy something that's not on your list. Um, make yourself wait at least that amount of time. You'll probably forget about it before you leave the store, actually. <laughs> And, you know, after 24 hours, if you still want it, but there's that nagging voice in your head, your conscience telling you that you really don't need it um, or you can't afford it, then postpone it for a month. Um, just make yourself a list, uh, kind of a wish list of items that you've refrained from buying so that you can ask yourself later on, you know, or you can ask for it at your birthday or something or maybe Christmas. But um, put it on a list and avoid it for a month. And if you still want it after a month, maybe you really do need it. Or maybe it's something you really, you mm -hmm. know, can can put a goal around and, and, and get that item later. But um, it, you it, want to delay it. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, if you think about certain products, you have salespeople that say, hey, this is a limited time and someone else is going to buy it and this is the only one we have. And that's what I think a lot of times people combine the impulse with. You got someone selling you something. So that's right. I think the 24 hour rule is, is spot on and, and making a list, I think is key. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's before right. Before you go to a store. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Another one here is, is keep the ad man at bay. So you got to take steps to intentionally limit your exposure to advertising. And you know, the less you are aware of what's available for you to buy, the less likely you're going to develop a sudden need for that item. So you know, one of the steps um, to take, you know, consider is unsubscribe to the product catalogs that come in your mailbox and those promotional emails about your favorite stores that they're always sending, sending you. I, I know at our house, we have gobs of, and, you know, a lot of magazines, um, Cabela's is oh, yeah. a really cool one. I don't particularly shop, you know, there, but it's fun to look through. Um, but it is tempting because they make it easy. You can just call the 800 number and you can get that order. Um, you know, coming to you. So, and I have my favorite emails that come, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm just tempted by, you know, it, it vacation emails that, you know, show you great destinations. <laughs> and I won't unsubscribe to them because it emotionally gives me a little excitement whenever yeah. I get it. You yeah, know? right, right. Or maybe the tool, the, the one with the new tools they're selling or something like that. So I have these that I, I really should unsubscribe to, you know, because they kind of play to my weakness. But yet I, I keep getting them and I keep like, It's well, a form of entertainment. Yeah, I look at it and I just kind of gaze over a few <laughs> minutes and then I might delete it. But uh, Don't do it. Yeah, you need to just unsubscribe from those lists. Exactly. Yeah, and prevent, prevent yourself from receiving those unsolicited offers too for, for credit or insurance by not providing your name and your address, your date of birth, your social security number, you know, to the opt-out pre-screen. Um, you know, they have these these opt-out screens and they want your information on Yeah. You know, what's interesting is, and I know you see this, is if you go look at an item like, um, let's say a new drill set, and you go out to CNN, that drill set will be in that little picture box over to the side. They're yep. tracking where you're going and they're taking what you're looking at, even if you don't buy it, and they're putting it up there reminding you that, hey, you just looked at this. 
That's true. And you can browse incognito, you know. Can and you? if you browse incognito, yeah, you right click on a on a new window and you say, you know, private or incognito. There's I didn't different know that. depends on what browser okay. you're using. Mm-hmm. And if you go incognito, then they can't they can't access those cookies and, uh. and know what your IP address is and who you are and tailor all those ads to you. Hmm. So that's a freebie. It's not anymore on our list here. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I mean, don't provide your information to these websites, you know, I mean, because they're going to just start barraging you with ads. So you want to make sure you're very careful about where your information goes. Um, and to avoid hearing ads on the radio, you know, switch to public radio or streaming Internet radio or CD player, an M3P3 player. Um, you know, if you're spending problems bad enough, consider unsubscribing from magazines that are full of all those ads. So you have to kind of limit your exposure to all the ads that are out there. So that was number two. Next one here is to limit your temptation. So that's the next step is to limit your exposure to situations that tempt you to spend. If you're in a mall, plan to visit only a couple times a year. Have a specific list and a specific number of stores that you're going to to buy specific items. Don't just browse at the mall. You know, try shopping online instead, maybe. Well, that's dangerous, too. Mm -hmm. You have to be really careful, have a list, and know exactly where you're going. You know, if your online shopping is the problem, then find another non-shopping websites to occupy your time or, you know, replace some of your Internet time with another activity. If you always find yourself spending more when a particular friend or relative's around, try to schedule free time or inexpensive activities with that person, like, you know, getting coffee or, you know, cooking dinner or going for a walk or... You know, playing golf, something, or something that's like that. something that's free. Something that's free would be good. There's a lot of free things out there. So. Exactly. Yeah, another one here on the list. I like this. Make yourself accountable, and you know, um, you, you got to think about the spending. The people you live with, or maybe spend the most time, can be your best defense. Tell them that you're you're trying to spend less. You're struggling in this area, and that you want them to make it you know harder for you to make that unnecessary purchase. Um, I heard a couple one time that took their credit cards and they put them in water and they froze it froze it in the <laughs> freezer that's a really so good they technique. could still get to it if they really really needed it but it took a little bit of work exactly they had to really want that credit card that's right so um, you also make a list of your financial priorities and put it in a place where you'll see it often like the refrigerator door we've talked about that before make a second list uh, um, you know or a second copy and put it in your wallet so each time you go there um, you know you're reminded of your goals so I like that one yeah, I like that too. And, you know, if you want to take it a step further, put a sticky note in your credit cards, put that in your wallet so that every time you see it on the sticky note, write your 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 savings goals so that you're when you pull out the credit card, you're reminded of your long-term goals. So I, I like that one. That's good. And, you know, find alternative activities too. I mean, if you frequently use shopping as a form of entertainment or a distraction, identify Try to identify what you're feeling when you want to buy something and choose a more constructive behavior that will help you deal with that emotion. I mean, for example, if you've had a bad day at work and you want to treat yourself with something nice, call a friend or two, um, you know, and if you're feeling stressed out, get some exercise. If you really want to just have to buy something, make it something simple and inexpensive like a, a book or maybe, you know, a little treat. Um, but don't do this every day because those small purchases really add up as well. Yeah, and you know some people do have um, uh, an addiction to to spending, and it's called 
Anamania. I'm not sure how you exactly pronounce that, but there mm. is an addiction out there. And, you know, while it may not seem like a dangerous addiction, many of the psychological characteristics of compulsive shopping are identical to those of chemical dependency. Um, you know, you look at compulsive shoppers, they tend to spend more than they can afford, and they get into a lot of debt. They get into a, a rush um, uh, of endorphins that help them make the purchase, and that rush is often accompanied by feelings of anxiety and guilt over not being able to control that urge uh, or not knowing how to get the bills paid. So uh, there are some conditions. If you're in that situation, you need to get it addressed. You need to go get help. Absolutely. You know, and there's a lot of shame that comes with a, a, a severe overspending habit, and that results from those binges um, in a person maybe hiding his or her purchases and straining relationships when the person feels compelled to lie about their time or their money being funneled into this addiction. You know, people with these problems, they, they might take a second job to try to accommodate their out-of-control spending habits. But until they address their impulse control problem, the underlying emotional issues that lead them to their destructive shopping sprees um, with no amount of money, you know, will it just won't stop. The, stop. the cycle will never stop. So, I mean, due to the sheer number of purchases and the shame surrounding the habit, many compulsive shoppers have loads of items that have never been used or are not even opened in some cases, still have their price tags attached. So it's a real problem for severe overspending. So the bottom line here is the goals, the goal here is to stop buying. It's not to stop buying anything fun. I mean, if we didn't occasionally, you know, be able to, to enjoy our money um, with our with our purchases, then, you know, it'd be difficult to get up and go to work every day if you didn't have something to look forward to, right? However, by becoming more conscious of your spending habits, um, you'll develop greater control over your finances and you'll be able to really enjoy the purchases that you make without the dread and the guilt of having spent too much. So if you think you or someone else that you know may have a shopping addiction one way to find that out is to go on this website. There's a good quiz for that at 4therapy.com. It's the number 4therapy.com. Um, they have a compulsive shopping quiz that might provide some answers to that. So go check that out. Um, but if you have a, an addiction, I mean, the first step is identifying the problem. Mm-hmm. So That's right. make sure you uh, get some help with that and apply some of these techniques to that, to that issue. Okay, and that leads up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question is talking about um, someone losing their spouse and uh, they inherited the business and some life insurance. And the question is, is what, what should I do? And, um, you know, what we recommend is, is take a pause, uh, take a break, don't do anything. Um, you know, Definitely. life's kind of in chaos. Um, certainly surround yourself with uh, wise counsel um, from a financial standpoint, you know, an attorney, CPA, advisor can should be able to help you and <clears throat> start crafting a plan. But I certainly wouldn't make any major purchases or do anything with with the business or the the insurance until you get a little bit clearer ahead. Exactly. Yeah, you want to you want to get some advice. You want to take some time, take a deep breath. Don't rush into big decisions. You know, you see a lot of people that or widowed that, that want to immediately move and, you know, make some big purchases or make big changes in their life, you know, because they're listening to all kind of advice they're getting from family and friends. Um, you know, our advice would be to take a step back and give that, you know, six months, mm-hmm. even a year 
Um, don't do anything drastic for a substantial amount of time so that you can get a clear head and really get your arms around the situation and just, just take a breath, take a step back from the whole situation and give it some real good time to, uh, to clear your head and evaluate where you're at. So good question of the week. All right. And that leads up here to our next topic. And that is your most important financial number and how to improve it. That's right. This comes from the Motley Fool. And, you know, it's, Steve, it's common to focus on income really as um, one of the deciding factors for wealth. But income certainly doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, you got to look at the, the news articles that come out about sports stars and actors um, who have declared bankruptcy despite their multi-million dollar salaries. I mean, they've obviously had super high incomes, but they can't even pay their bills, right? So, yep, so in, income's a piece of the puzzle, but um, net worth is really much more realistic and an accurate measure of what your wealth is. Yeah, so the question is, what is net worth exactly? Well, net worth is the value of everything you own minus what you owe. It's really that simple. It's entirely possible for somebody to have very low income but have a substantial net worth. And we see that quite a bit in our business. You know, people come in and, and have some really nice net worth, but they don't have a lot of income. Um, so, you know, but if they're careful about debt and they save money regularly, um, you can build a very handsome net worth regardless of your income. It's equally possible for somebody with a very high income, like these, you know, sports uh, stars and people like that who spend every penny and then some, and they result in a negative net worth. Yeah. So you can have a terrible net worth with a great income. We see that all the time. That's so right. the two are not necessarily related. That's right. So so net worth basically determines what your wealth is. And the, the definition that you see from uh, dictionary.com is an abundance or profusion of anything, and it's a plentiful amount. So being wealthy boils down to having more money that you need, and that's why net worth really is a better determiner uh, of wealth and income. I mean, obviously your, your income doesn't say much about how much money you have available right, right now. So liquidity is a piece of the puzzle and uh, net worth, um, is how much you have cash and other assets to spend today. And if you have more money available to spend today than you need, you are by definition wealthy, right? So you have extra, True. um, outside of, of what you really need. And so the way you calculate this, Steve, is it's really not that complicated. It does take a little bit of time, but you got to, you got to look at your assets. So you got to look at your, your uh, checking accounts and savings accounts, retirement accounts, um, and make sure that you understand what those look like. And then you look at your physical possessions, uh, your house and car and furniture. Maybe you have some expensive artwork or jewelry. Um, and to get an absolutely accurate net worth, you need to, to include everything down to the, the socks in your drawer, which we wouldn't recommend necessarily. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go to that detail. <laughs> you don't need to get that detail, but you can certainly get a reasonably close estimate of your, your, your possessions. And it's not really what you paid for them, though. You got to be careful that you value these properly. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I mean, we, we mentioned having an asset inventory list before mm -hmm. um, for your spouse and for your loved one. And I include the net worth as part of my asset inventory list. And I have that every year updated at the end of the year, you know, and you get your year end statement. It's just kind of a fun time to go through and calculate it all. So it's just in an Excel spreadsheet. So along with all my assets and the account numbers and the contact num numbers mm -hmm. and all of that, you know, in case something happens to me for Kathy to look at, also have the, the yearly, you know, value of those right. assets right. and then any liabilities subtracted off of that. So I get that. 
nice little update every year. You have your golf you clubs know? on the Absolutely. Asset. Yeah, one of my most important assets, John. <laughs> Absolutely. My golf clubs are on the liability section. Are they? They yeah, don't they don't do done, they don't yeah, produce true. anything good for me, so. True that in your that in your uh your alma, alma mater, right? Yeah, there you go. There you Ouch. Go. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but remember, I mean, the things that you own are not valued at what you paid for them, but they, but what you could sell them for today. They're, so it's the true value, the market value, what you could sell them for. And then add up the total amount of your debts and subtract it from the, the value of everything that you own. And, you know, that comes up to your net worth. The easiest way to total your debts is to pull a copy of your credit report. Um, so you can get that at annualcreditreport.com, mm-hmm. which we've talked about plenty of times and um but you subtract any of the payments you made that aren't yet reflected on your report and um you know subtract all your liabilities and that's a good number to use yeah that's right so the you know the question we get a lot of times is hey am i in good position what should my net worth be and uh, if you look at the the a really good book if you haven't read this is the millionaire next door and they have a formula you take your age time your times your income and you divide that by 10 and that would be a targeted net worth. So as an example, let's say a 40-year-old uh, man with a income of $60,000, um, you know, so you do 40 times 60,000 divided by 10, and that would be about 240,000 would be the targeted net worth. And, you know, if that number looks really high, it's it probably is because the average net worth of a 40-year-old is about $35,000. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so some people, some 40 year olds we come in have much higher than that. Some of them do have less than that. So it, it really depends on, on where you are. So if you're 40, then it's four times your salary mm-hmm. is where you should be. If you're 50 is five times your salary, yeah. 60 is six times your salary. Yeah, that's, that's right. A, that's a pretty interesting rule of thumb. Yeah. It's pretty easy to calculate. Yeah, that is. So, you know, setting your own target, you may not be at the 240,000. You want to try to get there. What's, what's a good way to increase your, your net worth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to increase your net worth, John, I mean, you need to increase your assets. I mean, it's pretty simple. And decrease your liabilities, your debts, preferably do both at the same time. I mean, so the fastest way to increase your assets is to pump up your retirement plan contributions. Because the money you put in your 401k or IRA can grow tax deferred, tax free in some cases. And you can get a slightly better rate of return on the exact same investments uh, then you'd put in a standard brokerage account, you know, by by putting them in an IRA and deferring the taxes. Mm-hmm. Plus, your contributions to your <clears throat> retirement accounts are tax deductible into an IRA. Um, so you can turn around, use the money that you save on taxes to increase your net worth even further. But de- decreasing your debt is also a great way to increase your net worth. Um, so you want to have a plan for having your debts all paid off, as we've talked about. You want to have your your house amortized over the number of years you have left to retirement so that you're constantly paying that down if you haven't already paid it down once over 15 years. Um, so the fact is, you know, getting rid of a high interest debt um, is a great way to to increase your net worth and also just making your retirement plan contributions and increasing both of those every year, gradually ramping them both up. Yeah, and I like your um, your your target of doing that annually. So exactly. uh, the net worth is you can kind of see what kind of progress you're making. You've added some to the assets. You've paid off some debt. Both of those are positive steps and increase your net worth, and you can kind of see how you're progressing um, associated with that goal um, going forward. So 
uh, net worth. Um, if you haven't calculated it, we certainly recommend that you take a look at that. And if you have questions, you can certainly reach out to you and we'll uh, kind of work with you on that. Absolutely. Good topic. All right. And that leads up to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. And we just mentioned this actually in the last uh, you know topic about checking your credit report, uh, annualcreditreport.com. I certainly think Melanie Holmes would uh, would agree with that to make Absolutely. sure you're monitoring your your uh, your credit and seeing if there's kind of any, any kind of issues. People have opened up um, you know credit cards in your name, and um, that would be a place that it would show up that you could take a look. Now there's three credit bureaus out there, so it can sometimes be a little bit of work to go through it and identify it, but it's a great step and it's a free free report. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can you can break it down too. You can do one credit bureau like every four months. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of span it out for the whole year and every four months, check a different credit bureau and, uh, you know, then make sure there's no illicit accounts that are showing up. Like you said, make sure there are no accounts that you've forgotten about that your, you know, credit cards that are out there that are open, maybe you don't need anymore. Um, but you know, you just, it just allows you to know exactly where you stand with credit and with your credit rating, if you will, or what's on your credit report. So, uh, it's just very, very important. Yep. So check that out. And that's a great prescription of the week. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial help. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. You can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.